You are listening to The Mend Podcast. I'm Joe Roeder, and I spend my life on the water and in the field. As a fly fishing guide and outfitter, I have spent decades personally honing my skills and helping other people improve theirs. My goal is to help listeners learn from my mistakes and successes. This podcast is brought to you by Red's Fly Shop, the best place to get outfitted for your next big adventure. Happy New Year from Joe here at Red's Fly Shop and the Man Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today. I think we got a good podcast for you. Won't be a super long one, but there'll be some nice intel in here. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody and uh, late Merry Christmas. I hope you got all the fishing tackle that you could have dreamed of for your big adventures this upcoming year. Chances are you didn't and you're going to end up doing some shopping. This is, uh, I always think of January, February, and March kind of as the shopping season. Uh, you know, there's a little bit more downtime. You're in watching football, maybe browsing around on your phone, dreaming about wishing, you know, being outside on the water and planning for big trips. And then after planning comes buying some gear. So this is usually when I kind of do a reset. And I'll have a little segment or two segments in today's podcast later on. Uh, I'll just call it gear of the year. Uh, It'll be short, but this is just stuff that I felt like was either surprising or was essential uh, for my fishing this last year. And it's not going to be, you know, the next latest, greatest high-end rod, but it's going to be just practical gear that I thought was very useful for me to be uh, comfortable and successful this last year. And then uh, gear for the new year will be a segment of things that I'm personally wanting to get. I'll talk about uh, you know some fishing goals or experiences that I personally want to have this next year. And I want to encourage you to set some very feasible and realistic uh, plans out for this upcoming year. And those are going to be, again, super reasonable. I can't stand these lofty, giant resolutions that people set. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to catch a 27-inch brown trout and blah, blah, blah. No, just set some time uh, to go experience these places and destinations or maybe techniques that you want to do. And I think uh, I think joy will fill in the blanks uh, of just being outside and being on adventure. I'll have a little news update for you, and then uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my fishing experience uh, from this past week uh, as well. So without further ado, let's just uh, we'll get started in a somewhat particular order. Oh, and... Uh, I want to say thank you for all of the online uh, orders and all of the, you know, the catalog, we'll just say catalog business, whether that's an email, a live chat, a phone call, or just straight up online order. But um, myself and all the crew that works in our shipping department has just been super grateful for all of that business that we've had. Well, overall time, but especially during the holiday season. A lot of people were thinking about reds, and I think we got everything there. Fast, efficient, packed nice, and um, we have a whole crew that all they do is ship and receive and and work really hard on making sure your order's perfect. So they're very grateful for that. Uh, As far as news goes, news is I'm going to be in Boise, Idaho this weekend, uh, just the next couple of days here at the Western Idaho Fly Fishing Expo. should be great. There's going to be some fabulous presenters and speakers there uh, in addition to myself. 
I'm going to be doing a casting seminar called Two Simple Truths to Add More Power and Distance. Really simple format on explaining this um, this stuff. I'll try to do more of a long-form YouTube video um, that parallels the seminar I'll do in Boise because uh, I think it's great information. Uh, but I probably won't try to film anything in Boise just because it'll be a little bit noisy and chaotic. Uh, and then uh, I'll have a seminar on European strategies for Western trout fishing. And that's going to be kind of the the how and why behind Euronymphing and or spay fishing. Um, why you would want to do it, uh, a bit about how. I'll, I will dive into a little bit of the technical stuff. But I think if you understand your why like so many things, uh, you'll be able to go back and fill in some of the technical and tactical blanks there. But there's good reasons to get into those two disciplines as a do-it-yourself angler. If you haven't done that yet or taken that plunge, uh, I, I would encourage you to do so. Maybe I'll have another podcast just about that, but it won't be today. Uh, so be in Boise this weekend. Uh, so if you live in the West, you want to get to Boise this weekend, see a killer fly fishing expo that is a not like it's a not-for-profit event. It's put on by the Boise Valley Fly Fishers. It's not a sportsman show. There's not a you know ton of senseless commercialism there. It's just about fly fishing at its core. It's a great event. Uh, the Reds hosted travel calendar for 2024-2025 is, for the most part, posted. If you are dreaming or thinking about doing a big trip and maybe you're nervous about it, either you don't know where to go or how to get started, what does the trip look like, what does it feel like, how much does it cost, where do I fly into, how do I get from the airport to the lodge, uh, what if I don't like my guide the first day, can I switch to my a new guide for later in the week, how long are the fishing days, what flies do I need, and on and on, there's a lot of questions. Our hosted travel trips. I mean, if you're ever thinking about doing a big trip, I can't implore you enough to do that. It's one of the best things that we do. Our staff will travel with you. And because we're traveling with you, we are going to fish. We're also going to make sure the group runs really, really well. And if we're going, you can bet that we've got the details of the trip planned out Uh we've done a really great job of ironing out all the details and also being able to help you so that you're not um, having some go-between that's not really going on the trip and really doesn't have a vested interest in the success of the trip. We're there with you and we're going to do a good job. So check out that 2024-2025 schedule and then I would just implore you to email me at joe at redsflyshop.com with any questions you have about that, even if you're just thinking about traveling, maybe you're just starting the process of thinking about going on one of those big dream trips, whether it's for bonefish or for tarpon or permit or you want to go to Patagonia, whatever it is, I'm 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 an open book. I'm happy to help and give you really, truly unbiased advice. Uh, we book a handful of hosted trips every year. We get them full. I think we have maybe one we have openings in my Baja rooster fish trip this upcoming year, but that's like, I think about our only opening for all of 2023. So point is, we don't do so much travel that we're going to pressure you into anything. Just, I would really encourage you to reach out to me if you have questions about our trips and I'll give you good, solid, honest answers. So that travel schedule has been posted. Um, <clears throat> other things new for Reds this year. Uh, crispy boots. We're going to be selling uh, crispy hunting boots starting in April. Uh, I love my crispies. I think I'm on my, 
probably my eighth pair. I keep about three pairs going all the time for all my hunting and outdoor exploits. In addition to fly fishing, I'm a big game and mountain backcountry hunting fanatic. Uh, some of you know. And uh, boots, it all starts and ends with your feet. And uh, we have extensive experience. Our whole staff, um, either big game hunts or chucker hunts, we all wear crispies. So we have a lot of experience there. When you're investing 350 to 450 bucks in a set of boots, it's good to get some advice. And so we're carrying crispy boots. It's a really good fit for us. We don't really sell a lot of other stuff in that hunting or general outdoor market, but crispies are one thing we feel like we've got expertise in and can do it. Uh, our rod giveaway is going to be January rod giveaway. I haven't activated it yet. Still kind of in uh, somewhat of a, a holiday coma. I'll get the rod giveaway up. You should be participating in that. Not if you follow all the rules, like and rules. If you just meet all the requirements, like on Instagram, you tag three buddies. Instagram or Facebook, you got to tag three fishing buddies or partners. You got to do a couple things. You got to name a couple flies from the website so that you know we're trying to train you guys to get on our website and see what we do and sell. Uh, you follow. You just check all the boxes. Every month, it seems like I choose two or three comments that are good comments, and they're they're kind of essentially at random. But then I I check them to make sure that they check all the boxes, and uh, I go through two or three before somebody's got them all done right. It it just takes another moment. So I would really encourage you. There's not that many entries that meet the bar. So getting that rod giveaway last month, we gave away a Sage X and a whole party pack. It was a really cool story. The dude who won it was just super stoked. Got to talk to him on the phone. It was really fun giving that away to somebody, especially just post-holidays where everybody's just, you know, probably reeling from the money they spent uh, on gifts to get something for themselves. is pretty exciting. So getting our rod giveaway will probably launch uh, this this next couple of days. And uh, if you go to our website, you can scroll to the bottom and find a quick link to the rod giveaway. Uh, there's multiple ways to enter, but I would encourage you to enter all different ways. Take a few minutes, meet the requirements. You don't have to buy anything anymore. You used to have to place an order, but that got shut down because somebody tattled on us to the like literally the gambling commission because um, we wanted to give away a rod to somebody who actually bought something. So now you don't have to buy anything. But getting that rod giveaway, we gave away that Sage X package last month. Not sure what we're giving away this month. I've got a couple of things cooking, but I'm not sure which one we're going to land on. Well, the team will have a little bit to... To say about that. Um, okay, winter fishing report. Uh, here in the east slope of the Cascades, uh, if you've seen where we fish, it's like a high desert landscape, basalt rimmed canyons. Looks more like uh, like a central Idaho um, type landscape here. We're inland, we're not on like the coast, so we get cold. And uh, we had a lot of temperatures, even below zero, uh, for several weeks there. And then Finally, uh, about the 29th, uh, 28th or 29th, just after Christmas, the weather broke and uh, the ice flow broke free, a bunch of the shelf ice got moving, and uh, we were able to actually get out on the river, and I got a guide day in, which I was stoked about, getting one more guide day um, for the year. So, got out on the river and uh, shared a little bit um, about that and the strategies that I've been using, but current fishing conditions-wise... I'll be honest, it's pretty cold. Um, it's probably pretty cold most across uh, most across the country right now. 
don't force it. Uh, I'd like to tell you, you need to get out there and you know get thick gloves and two pairs of two pairs of long underwear and and do it. But don't feel bad if you're not out there. There's lots to be done in fly fishing right now that are that's going to help catapult you into 2023 correctly. And I'll talk a little bit about that later in the podcast. But if you're seeing temperatures like for me, I want to see temperatures high 30s. I want to see overnight lows in the high 20s. If it gets much colder than that. Um, I'm probably going to deal with a lot of ice in my guides. I need water temperatures at 37 degrees. Uh, it's colder than that. Those fish are going to be pretty stagnant. I've certainly fished a little colder than that, but, uh, don't feel like, uh, don't feel like just because it's above freezing, you need to be out there. Pick and choose your battles wisely. You've only got so much, you know, so much slack time in the course of a year. I would kind of rather see a lot of people this time of year, you know, research gear, invest in some good gear, make some plans, get your calendar out. I think that's a really useful um, exercise to go through. Uh, but fishing last week, uh, I'll share a couple of keys to, you know, what I feel my success was or just things I've learned over the years. But I had, I was guiding one experienced angler, one less experienced angler. And um, some of this information, even if you're not a guide, if you're mentoring or fishing with people, if you're the more experienced angler, which you might be because you're listening to this podcast, like realize there's a tremendous amount of value in you fishing with the exact strategy or the same fly as your fishing partner. So that way you can set an example and, and show them the tempo of how it's supposed to be done without being annoying <clears throat> and micromanaging them. You can just lead by example and just go fishing, and they're going to pick up on that. It's just going to be contagious that they're mending the same, they're casting the same, they're setting the hook the same. Everything is very similar in the way you set up. I think there's a lot of value to that. Uh, so when I was with my two anglers, I had one experienced angler, one less experienced angler, and uh, the experienced angler was able to kind of set the tempo for the day, and I kept both of them on very simple rigs. I fished a, a Jiggy Pats number eight by Fulling Mill uh, with, I think, the smaller bead, like the 3.2 millimeter bead in low water, which most winter fishing is going to be low water. If you're fishing high water in the winter, unless it's a like a Pineapple Express or a warm front, that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> high water in the winter is arguably the most challenging of conditions. Not only do you have high water, but it's it's cold. So I like lighter weight flies typically. I don't need a real heavy fly in the wintertime because I want that fly to levitate and move and follow the natural path of the current. The currents, if your fly is too heavy, it just doesn't, it doesn't flow and doesn't look real. So be aware that too heavy can be equally, uh, equally um, disadvan disadvantageous as a fly that is too light. I think a lot of people look at winter fishing and they're like, oh, I've got to be on the bottom. Got to have that fly on the floor. And it, there's a little bit of truth to that, but you really need that fly to behave correctly. And if it's too heavy, it's just going to look like a rock. Um, it's going to act like a rock. You're going to touch the bottom with it, and then you're going to either set the hook and it's a false hook set and it makes a bunch of noise, or it's going to lay on the bottom and pull your indicator under, and then you've got to kind of jig it up. If you're Euro nymphing, and you're too heavy, you're constantly having it under tension instead of letting it free flow, you know, in that last or the bottom, you know, several inches of the water. 
So balance is really important. So 3.2 millimeter jiggy pads on one rig and then a number 10 uh, fulling mill wiggly worm uh, with the tungsten bead on the other. The flies aren't super relevant, the exact pattern, but that's a, precisely what I was using. And I ran 4X fluorocarbon uh, about four and a half feet below a single yarn indicator, a loon tip topper. And uh, I run the big loon tip topper and then I cut it down to about three quarters of its size. Uh, Overwhelmingly, I prefer yarn indicators unless the flies are extremely heavy or the water is very swift. I'm running yarn. That's just what I like to do. I think it floats better, it drifts slower. There's a lot of advantages to it. I carry all sorts of indicators. There's a different indicator for a lot of scenarios. But uh, what jumps out at me is that the fact, I mean, I'll just give you an elementary overview of indicator nymphing and one of the fundamental challenges of it, but the surface currents in a river are the swiftest part of the river. You know, excuse seam lines where there might be a, a rapid here and then back at you there, but like if you broke the river into a, if you took a slice of it um, and you said, okay, we're going to measure current speed from top to bottom, the top, the surface currents are going to be very fast often about four times faster than that bottom quarter of the water column. So if your indicator is on the surface in the really fast currents and your fly is down below, but you can you can certainly do, there's lots of mending techniques and different things that we can do to try to make the indicator and the fly work in really good harmony with one another, and those are certainly important. But eventually that indicator, after a mend or two, is really going to begin to creep and walk ahead of that fly eventually towing that fly or putting downstream tension on it, making it look a little bit phony. The lighter the fly, the more of a tendency the indicator has control over it. Heavier flies has a little less control over it, but there's definitely a balance there. You, you can't tie a bowling ball to an indicator, even if it would float it and get it to look very natural. So indicator and fly weight balance is really critical. And in the wintertime when we've got cold hands, uh, and we don't want to retie, and the light is really, really flat if you're having trouble seeing the bottom, like consider starting your adventure with one fly. You can always add a fly on later, but if you're getting all these false strikes and you're snagging, you know, or God forbid you tangle, that really slows you down. You really would just want to make sure you get one nice clean drift, a really quiet float, Without a bunch of jab, you know, without a bunch of, you know, dragging on the bottom and a bunch of false hook sets where it's hitting a rock and you're setting the hook, making a bunch of noise. Just, just a handful of really clean, really clean, quiet drifts with a single fly is very valuable because it's also going to get you in a groove. And I'll jump back to that point about maybe maybe you're not a guide but maybe you're fishing with a friend who's less experienced or maybe you're the person who's less experienced two two anglers fishing near each other maybe with a different fly but a fly of similar weight and the same kind of indicator there's really good harmony that takes place there and i know some of you're thinking well that doesn't make any sense shouldn't if i was nymph fishing shouldn't the other person be streamer fishing there, there's a certain beauty, like there's an energy that takes place when two anglers are fishing similar to one another and paralleling one, one another. And I swear that you, they feed off each other's energy. So I always like to start my day with people fishing at least a similar strategy, even if it's different flies. And I think there's a lot to be gained from it. 
uh, especially on, if you're boat fishing like I happen to be doing, you know, I'm rowing a drift boat that day. I'm choosing the water speed and handling the boat based on setups that are similar. So there's there's that component of it too, but I still think that that lead by example um, expression works when you're wade fishing with somebody else. So starting with a single fly and making sure that, hey, let's get in a groove. Let's figure out the depth of this hole. Let's figure out where the hazards are. Is there a log here? Before I lose two flies, maybe I'll snag up with one fly. <laughs> Plus, it's easier to tie another fly back on. And, and you can work into a known piece of water, kind of figure out the depths, figure out where the hazards are. And if you fish it with one fly, and maybe you're successful, maybe not, you could always switch to a two-nymph rig later on. So it's very easy to add that second fly. You can add a second fly a lot faster than you can untangle two flies. Put it that way. So don't get don't get trapped into this this Western guide paradigm, if you will, that you always have to fish two flies. I feel like that's just something that people have that expectation that if you're nymph fishing, you should always fish two flies. So little story from that day that really jumps out at me for a variety of reasons was the more experienced angler in the boat, Jake. And Jake's still learning. He's you know by no means a you know a super pro, but he's a good fisherman. Young guy, good fisherman, he's put his time in. And I had Jake in the boat and there was a really slow eddy line that we were approaching with the boat. And this could be applied whether you're wading or, or floating, it doesn't matter. But I just want to paint the picture. We're coming up river left, and we the bite had picked up a little bit. The morning was really tough, really, really tough. We hooked, we hooked one really, really exceptional trout all morning long, had lunch. So we fished for about two hours, only hooked one fish, had lunch, and then the bite began to pick up. As the water temperature climbed, the bite's picking up. We're getting a few more suspicious bobber drops everybody's in a good rhythm together. The boat's working great. So nobody's crossing each other's lines. Everybody's mending on time, recasting on time. Everything's firing. As an observer and a guide, it's just such a cool thing to watch when things are working working smooth like that. So we're approaching on river left, which would be looking downstream river left. There's a big soft eddy line coming up. And it's a harsh seam, meaning there's a real fast riptide of swift current, which in cold water... You really just want to avoid that swift water. You really want to get in that easy living. Those trout, those trout have a very low metabolism in the winter. They do want to eat, but they don't want to work hard for it. There's more food than what their body demands. There's plenty of food. They don't need to crowd into those swift rips. We're coming up on that seam, and I told them, I said, hey, on this, you're going to have to drop it in there, and you're going to have to mend that line away from you. You know, you're going to have to get that line away, not just... Don't just mend your slack line upstream, which would be a real traditional mend, but you're going to have to punch that line over in the back at you like a little bit of a roll cast. So you can even take your hand up right now and that rod tip, if you're listening to this, you can take that rod tip. The rod tip has to be vertical and you can like pointing straight in the air and you could pop that line away from you with just a little snap, almost like you're swatting a fly midair, just pop. And he made that perfect snap mend, and it pinned that indicator back in that soft seam. And I don't see anglers do this a lot, so it really jumped out at me. But he was able to hold that drift in that very slow seam for not just a second, not just two seconds, 
but four or five seconds. And I, when I could see that it was going to hold, I just counted it down. I said, yep, that's, that's a trout. I mean, I know that spot. Three, two, one, dunk. Indicator goes straight down. Such a clean, distinct take, which when you fish a suspension rig with yarn, that's one of the great things about the takes. They're just so distinct. The trout tipped back, floated up a foot or two, you know, it inhaled the bug and just slowly and have, you know, just in a heavy fashion, just went straight back now, which was probably only a body length for the trout. But because it had come up, inhaled the bug and gone back down, it was just this really nice, distinct take. And when you fish a shorter rig and trout take, you generally hook up a much higher percentage of what bites because they're returning back down to their holding lie or their home uh, when, after they grab that. So really distinct take, landed that fish, 17 inch-ish, in, inches. It might have been only 16, but it was a slab. I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but uh, yeah, 17 to 18 inch fish is uh, about as big as a lot of the, the trout will get in the Yakima River. Sure, we get fish up to 19 or 20 inches, occasionally bigger. Uh, but a slabby 17-inch fish is a, is a quality fish that's probably a six-year-old trout for us. Mature trout. Uh, yeah, very mature trout, great trout. But that really stood out to me because the, just the nuance of, of what it took to catch that trout in cold water, the fact that we were using yarn and we were able to hold that drift, and that yarn is a nice quiet indicator in those soft edges, um, the setup also that I run, uh, I generally run about four to five feet between the end of my fly line and my yarny, and I will often grease the butt section of that leader so that the butt section of my leader stays up on the surface and the current can slide under it. Most of your drag comes from the fly line in a drift, but it'll come from that stiff butt section a leader too. And if you can keep that stiff butt section a leader up on the surface, and maybe that's one of the many reasons I like yarn because I've already got my floating out. When I put floating on my yarn indicator, I can run it up that butt section onto the tip of the fly line. And it's amazing how easy and delicate men's become when you can do when you when that butt section is right on the surface and buoyant and not getting sucked under even by the smallest whirlpool. So that really stood out for me on that fish of just a nice connection, being able to hold that drift for an extended period of time and also have it um, be a quiet drift as well. And along those lines, regarding just tackle, um, if, if you're fishing, if you're looking for a good nymphing rig, you know, when I say nymphing rigs, I'm generally talking indicators. Um, if it's going to be tight line nymphing or euro nymphing, I'll, I'll mention it, but if you're going to be throwing, you know, big, heavy double fly rigs with split shot, those indicator lines are fabulous. Um, the, like the scientific anglers, Nadro or the any either of the Rio indicator lines <clears throat> uh, are going to be just fine. But for holding quiet drifts in cold water, I just like a general purpose floating line, just like an Infinity, uh, scientific anglers Infinity, a Rio Perception, heck, even a Rio Gold. Um, a dry fly line, um, just because the delicate nature of that mending and the thinner the tip of that fly line is, the less drag there is. So uh, they might not roll cast big, you know, big clunky junky rigs with a lot of weight, but man, they hold a drift and current really, really well. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value to that. So 
As far as fishing over the next several weeks goes, it looks like at least regionally this weather pattern is going to kind of hold. Uh, rivers definitely fishable here, and it, it is probably many places, uh, but you know certainly less than ideal on the immediate forecast. Things are going to break up here pretty quick. By February, we're going to be rocking and rolling pre-squala hatch, which is so exciting. So, uh, yeah, that's my only fishing uh, excursion for this last week. We ended up catching some really nice rainbows on the eve of New Year's Eve. Scrape fishing, you know, in my opinion, I loved it. Uh, we saw one other boat out there. Of course, we knew them. Uh, not a lot of anglers on the river this time of year. So if you enjoy solitude, it's a great time to be out. Uh, we'll move on. Gear, gear of the year. Uh, I'm just, this is going to be a short list. I just wrote down a few things. It's not anything life-changing. In fact, it's a pretty boring list. I didn't include a single rod on here. <clears throat> I think rods are so... Uh, there's you know budget to consider, there's strategy to consider, and I always appreciate brand loyalty for people buying rods as well. So I didn't, I didn't include any rods on here, but pieces of gear that I'm really happy with that I would just I would buy tomorrow um, if they were taken away from me, stolen, you know, burned in a house fire, or whatever. Uh, my Corkers Devil's Canyon wading boots with the Boa system. For those that aren't familiar with Corkers, you can take the soles on and off. So I can switch from rubber soles, which I like uh, when I'm hiking on a really small creek where I'm not really spending a lot of time in the water uh, because I get such good traction out of a river uh, in mud uh, or slick grass and things. I want that rubber sole with some traction. Or if I'm gonna walk up a long trail or road uh, to get to my fishery, I like the rubber sole. I have studded felt soles that I plugged in when I was spay fishing. Uh, on the Snake River and Grand Ronde Rivers a few weeks ago. Um, I'm all studded felt for that. It's a lifesaver. I feel like Spider-Man walking around out there. Uh, and then they have a bunch of different configurations. Uh, and then just plain felt is what I would wear most of the time. Now, disclaimer with the corkers, I have lost one sole where the, the sole on the boot got stuck in some snow. It was kind of snowy and muddy, and I don't even remember losing it. Um, if in fact I even put that sole on because I didn't even realize it was gone. Uh, and I, I was actually fishing a long time without the sole on there. Uh, didn't even realize the sole was missing, but I'm guessing it got stuck in some snow or mud and, uh, and then peeled off. But I, I, and I've heard of that happening to a couple of people and it's a, to me, the pros of being able to, you know, have modular footwear so far outweigh the cons of losing a sole. The soles are cheap. I'm going to replace the felt sole every year so that I have good felt soles anyways. They're not expensive. I get fresh felt out of the deal. So if I've got to replace a sole once in a while, I'm okay with that. Some other folks may not agree, but I've got a set of rubber soles, felt, studded felt and felt, and I'll, it's not a gimmick. I actually do swap those in and out. Uh, for changing conditions. I think it's a very handy uh, thing to be able to do. Uh, the other thing uh, that I switched to is I switched to uh, a Fish Pond Thunderhead lumbar pack uh, and use that for trout fishing. And I put the insert in it. Those inserts have been really hard to get inventory-wise. Uh, so we're sold out of them half the time, it seems like, because we just can't get them from Fish Pond. But they're a hot commodity, but uh, that compartmentalization in one of those lumbar packs really makes for a nice trout box. 
uh, especially for a lot of my small nymph boxes and things where I can organize them inside that lumbar pack. Really grown to like that lumbar pack for waiting uh, this past year. I would, I would get that again in a heartbeat. The only thing that I wouldn't recommend on it <clears throat> is uh, the water bottle holder. It's just way too heavy to put the water bottle. It just kind of flops around there on the side. When I put like a, a Yeti Rambler, like a metal water bottle in that thing that's you know full of water or whatever, it just flops around. It's way too heavy and awkward. It, that's a That doesn't work. Not for me. Maybe a Nalgene bottle might be lighter. Uh, but the, wa- the, the water bottle holder, I'm a little critical of. I'd, I'm not loving that. So I'd probably ditch that and take a drink of water before I go or just shove a, a smaller bottle in the main compartment of the, of the lumbar pack. Um, next thing is Kispiox, Sims Kispiox gloves. Now, I'll throw another disclaimer in here, and I'll say I am wearing an old set of Patagonia gloves that are essentially the exact same thing. But Patagonia doesn't make them anymore. We don't sell Patagonia products. And frankly, I think the Sims is a little better. And Sims, when they came out with the Kispiox, the moment I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, like finally somebody's got an answer to this. But if you haven't seen those, they're really good even when it's not that cold because it keeps really, say it's just 50 degrees and blowing wind. Uh, I wear them even then because you hardly notice you have them on because all they do is there's like a grid fleece line neoprene that covers the back of your hand and there's essentially a thumb hole. And so there's no glove on the palm of your hand. So I can row, I can pull an anchor, I can cast, and I can hand a line essentially like there's no glove on. They keeps the sun, even on a cold sunny day, I don't like that sun beating down on the backs of my hands. My hands are just kind of trash from years in the sunshine. And uh, this Kispiox <clears throat> keep the backs of my hands warm. They protect my knuckles from injury. Uh, if I'm handling a, a, a boat winch or something like that, I just feel good having those things on. And the Kispiox is a little bit better than this old Patagonia thing I'm wearing. Uh, if and when I lose one of my Patagonias, which inevitably happens where I wind up with the left, but no right, I'll get those Sims Kispiox ones in a moment. But I wore that half finger neoprene you know, shield for the back of my hand a lot this year. <clears throat> and uh, just that glove system allows me to change flies and change rigging and have dexterity even when it's cold, uh, it was a real lifesaver. And then <clears throat> the last thing on my list, is a short list, uh, it's just having really good Primaloft jackets. The Sims Primaloft jackets, there's other companies and things too, but Sims seem to be purpose-built for handling moisture, just knowing you're going to be around water, <clears throat> you're going to get splashed, maybe you're going to get rained on, uh, but the Sims Primaloft jackets are being able to just handle humidity and handle moisture and stay warm, they dry extremely fast. So even when I get in a little rain squall and I'm not wearing a shell and I'm just wearing Primaloft, my body heat dries that Primaloft out so quick. Primaloft is such a good insulator and it's so hydrophobic. It was really nice to have around <clears throat> the water. And if you just look at our guide team, I mean, these guys live outdoors. They're all wearing that Primaloft stuff. I've got a couple of these jackets and, uh, I know they're a few hundred bucks or, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but I just wear them till they're completely trashed and then I'll give them away or throw them away. Um, to me, they're like just such a necessary investment, but yeah, I'll go cut firewood in them and do all that kind of stuff. But 
versus a multiple layering system or having to wear Gore-Tex shells to stay warm. Those Primaloft jackets are awesome. Uh, really, really like uh, any of the Sims Primaloft stuff. It's great. So that's my uh, just my real kind of plain, not real exciting gear of the year summary for this last year. And next, I will do new gear for the year for 2023. New gear for the upcoming year. So like a lot of you, I am planning some fishing. I'm kind of making somewhat of an intention or a resolution. Intention is the new buzzword for the New Year's, if you didn't know that yet. My wife explained that to me last night. It's not a resolution. It's an intention. Uh, so I'm going to be intentional this year, and I'm going to plan on doing some fishing. And for me, I, I've got a lot of gear. Efficiency is really, really important. I'm being able to you know, have my gear accessible, have it be well organized so that I can take up these spontaneous opportunities to, you know, my life looks a little bit like a lot of yours at times. I mean, I still, there are days where I've just got to do office work and, you know, I'm not fishing, not guiding. And so on my way home to be able to plan on, you know, pulling over at the local bass pond for, you know, 30 or 45 minutes of bass fishing on my way home, like that's stuff I do. Uh, and I want my gear accessible. I want it to be well organized and I want to be able to be spontaneous and take advantage of invitations or opportunities as they come up. Um, for me, I'm not the most organized person. I'm constantly testing gear and I have a lot of gear, but in fact, I, I, I know clients and customers that have more gear than I do. I generally cycle through it pretty quick, even when I'm getting new gear and testing new gear. But point is, I do have a lot of gear, but I'm not very well organized. So I'm going to get a big giant reel case. I don't know what, I'm, what one I'm going to get. Fishpond's got one. Sims has one. But I need a giant case for my reels. Uh, and I need to better label my reels with what lines are on there. Uh, and be organized so that I can swap some things uh, when I need to. I can find gear and I could also outfit, whether it's a friend or a customer, I can outfit them really quickly with a good setup um, and be very, very well organized and not be scrambling around. Um, and I think we've all probably been in those situations where we've loaned out gear to people and whether it comes back or not. There's guides that work for me that if I loan them something, it's a black hole. Um, I've got to be okay with it never coming back again. Uh, <laughs> just because they're they're not great borrowers. Uh, <laughs> it's no fault of theirs. It's just the way they're... Eh, maybe it is a fault of theirs, but it's just the way they're wired a little bit. Um, gear doesn't always get returned, but if I have a place for it and I see it's missing, I'm likely going to track it down. Um, so I'm going to get a big giant reel case. The other thing I'm going to get is a waiter bag so that my waiters and boots are highly organized along with my waiting staff I want to be able to throw in there and my extra soles for my waiting boots. And I have not had to patch my waiters but I need to have a way to repair kit available. And I just, I am discombobulated right now. Uh, I don't have that stuff handy. It's not here in my rig or at the house. And I'm going to get a waiter bag. I think I might just get that Sims taco bag, but I've not had like a good waiter bag. I've got one that's about 15 years old, but it like, I want to be able to put my waiting staff in there because I do like to use a waiting staff. I could do a whole podcast on uh, you know, how the advantage that being able to move quickly, confidently, and efficiently with a waiting staff, um, even when you're not waiting, but just 
Maybe you've got to walk 300 yards up the river. A lot of people will just not do it because it's so cumbersome walking over boulders. But I'm telling you, if you've got a good staff, you can cover that 300 yards fast with little fatigue. And uh, it's just a great tool to have. You wouldn't climb a mountain without a trekking pole or a whippet or an ice axe. You know, Don't wade into a slippery river without a wading staff. Just makes sense. Even if you're using an old ski pole or trekking pole, use something. Uh, so I'm going to get a waiter bag that can accommodate all that so that I'm always ready, um, always river ready, so to speak. I'm going to go through my fly lines. I need some fresh fly lines on some of my reels. And if I fly lines for me, uh, I can I can usually get them if I ask for them from the manufacturers. But I will tell you this, when I say fresh lines, even if you're not going to go buy all new lines because I realize these things are expensive, they start at 100 bucks. If you're paying less than 100 bucks for your fly lines, you really should consider just spending a little bit more money in getting those better lines. They just perform better. So here's my tip. Take your lines out, evaluate them, wash them. A little warm water, a little bit of dish soap would do fine. There are line cleaning agents you can buy. But then I would clean them and dress them with a fly line specific dressing. If you want to go super easy, you can get the Rio Flyline cleaning towelettes, but freshen up your lines. Either buy new ones if the welded loops are bad, they're beginning to sink, be honest, but the fly line makes a big difference. I would rather have a hundred dollar line. I would rather have a hundred dollar rod. Word this correctly so that you follow me. A hundred dollar rod with a hundred dollar line than a thousand dollar rod with a ten dollar line. Any day of the week. The fly line has a profound impact on your your performance and the rod's performance, the way it casts, the way it mends, the way it roll casts, the way it floats, the way it shoots and turns over. The fly line is very important. So freshen up your lines. If you need new ones, get new ones. If they're not in the budget for you or you don't need new ones, clean them this time of year and get all that grime off there and then treat them and seal them up so that you have a full season of good use. You will be amazed at the performance advantage in just cleaning your lines or new lines. So freshen up the lines. Uh, fly boxes for me is on my list. Uh, I got a photo the other day from a friend of mine, uh, Brian O'Keefe. You may follow him, Catch Magazine, Brian O'Keefe Photos. What a wonderful person, human being. And he literally had, I couldn't even tell you how many fly boxes, but he said he's been spending days opening up all his fly boxes, sorting out every fly, going through everything fly by fly and arranging his boxes. And I'm like, for as much as Brian's fished and all around the world he's fished, he still has to go through all the same exercises that we do as anglers of manifesting and evaluating what you have for flies and whether you're prepared to get to the destinations or the adventures that you're hoping to do for this year, which will be our next segment. So I'm going to do a reset on my fly boxes. Um, We've got a lot better boxes now. Um, the Tacky Fly Box family uh, that's that's uh, distributed by Fish Pond, so you can see them as a Fish Pond box or a Fish Pond Tacky box. There's a bunch of options there now that weren't there before, and my fly box management has historically been awful. And so I've been motivated by seeing Brian's photos of him doing the hard work spending days and days and days at a time. Brian probably has uh, higher paying things that he can go do, but he knows the importance of being prepared and being ready. And then also, if you've got a list of destinations that you're going to go to, which we'll talk about next, 
you'd better evaluate whether you're honestly prepared to go be successful there. So fly boxes are also on my list. Uh, so that's my new gear for the year. It's not super sexy. It's not real exciting. It's very basic stuff, but it's going to support my goals that I'm laying out for this upcoming year in a very feasible and affordable manner. So let's talk about setting some goals for 2023. And I'm not talking about any just you know resolutions or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, but I think it's I think it's worth the conversation because well, there's no point in setting resolutions or goals that you that you're not going to make or achieve. That's uh, just silly. That that's a recipe to train yourself to not meet goals. So if I say, hey, uh, this next year, you know, I'm going to do I'm going to bench press 225 pounds, which for me would be a lot. Um, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm not that into weightlifting, you know. So <laughs> the point is. Just set goals that are, or, or resolutions or intentions that are very feasible. So for me, I will share, by, try to lead by example here, I will share with you what I mean because in fishing, there are so many factors that are uncontrollable. I could say this next year, I'm going to catch a tiger muskie. Okay. That's a very, very hard fish to catch. There's not a lot of them. Uh, they're hard to catch. Where there are tiger muskie, that's a, a hybrid fish that is a cross between a muscalunge uh, and a pike. And they're, uh, they're sterile fish and they're planted in lakes and they're a great game fish and they also help balance the population of the forage fish in the lake. So I could say, hey, I'm going to go catch a tiger muskie. I might not catch a tiger muskie, but you know what I am going to do? I'm going to go fish for tiger muskie. Might only be one day. But I'm going to fish hard, and I'm going to try my damnedest to get a tiger muskie. So I've got a couple lakes uh, near me, and I fished one of them. I've tried a little bit, but not a genuinely concerted effort. I've got three lakes, actually. I've got friends that have caught muskie in all these lakes. I've just not done it. I dabbled with it a couple times, not serious enough. But here's my point. I'm going to get prepared for it. I'm going to get just a few flies for tiger muskie. I'm going to learn a little bit about, you know, what the appropriate wire size is going to be for muskie. What's a good leader setup? What's the best month of the year? What's the best time of day? I'm going to do a little bit of research. I'm going to talk to a couple of my friends, read a few blogs, and I'm going to go tiger muskie fishing. And within that, I'm going to learn a whole bunch on the front end. I'm going to get the enjoyment of going fishing for that day. And if and I'm going to say one day, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm going to set a day aside for this. And maybe I get catch tiger muskie, maybe I don't. If I go and I absolutely have a great time and I'm having fun doing it and I'm like invigorated by that fishery, I'll go again and again and again and I will catch tiger muskie. But I'm just going to start by checking things out and learning a little bit about it. I would love to catch a tiger muskie. So the goal is just to get there, be prepared in doing so, and I think that I'm going to accomplish much um, in the interim. So I'm trying to set up some very basic goals uh, like that. The other thing that I'm going to do is... Uh, I've got some wild spring creeks uh, that are somewhat near, within a day's drive of, of my house here in uh, in the Columbia River Basin. Uh, again, for those that maybe live in faraway parts of the country and that you don't, you're not familiar with our area, but we live in essentially the high desert east of the Cascades. Here, it looks a lot like central Idaho, where it's you know sagebrush and basalt rim rock and We've got giant, you know, arid mountains and arid ridges around us. So we have these spring creeks that are in the desert, uh, essentially, that are real open landscape. They look a little bit like some of the spring creeks in Patagonia. 
uh, just minus most of the fish there. They're much more challenging, but uh, I've got a couple of those creeks I haven't fished in years. I got kind of burned out on fishing them. It's very hard fishing. It's, you know, I would say near impossible guiding just because of the level of challenge. There are some fabulous fish in those creeks, but I'm going to get back on the spring creeks. I haven't done that in years. Uh, so that's going to be another thing. And whether I have a great fishing day or not, doesn't matter. I'm going to get there and I'm going to put dates on the calendar here pretty darn quick. Within the next two to three weeks, I'm actually going to get my calendar out and set these dates up. The other one is I used to be a real avid uh, shed antler hunter for elk and deer. Uh, I built a big chandelier or I had a big elk antler chandelier made for my dad. It still hangs in my dad's house. But I really fought shed antler hunting has gotten way more popular. <laughs> People are selling the antlers. I've never sold antlers, but I've had I used to do it really hard for years. I'm going to pick up uh, a brown six-point bull oak shed antler this year. It's going to get me outside. I'm going to pick a couple of days. I'm going to get out. I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to, my goal is just to get one. And same thing for deer antler shed hunting. Um, it's going to get me out on my snowshoes uh, late winter, early spring. And I'm going to pick up one brown, Hope I should say four-point, but uh, in our valley here, we have a lot of blacktail mule deer hybrid, and so some of the more mature bucks are actually big three points. But uh, I'm going to pick up a brown deer shed antler as well. That's going to get me outside. So I'm just going to get there. Got a couple of basic goals. I've got so much fishing planned, I really don't need to plan anything else other than kind of some of those uh, some of those off-the-wall fisheries, like I said, the muskie, and then getting back on some of those spring creeks. But just do that for yourself. Pick out a couple of little adventures. Your success is, the success in catching is irrelevant. I think if you plan right and your heart's in it, you're interested in it, make this contract with yourself now for these other dates. Um, and it may sound like I don't have a lot of fishing planned. I've got so much fishing planned for this upcoming year. Uh, but there are a couple of things that I want to do for myself that I just haven't done before, including getting out for muskie because I think that's, uh, I think I'm really going to enjoy that once I really get into it. Kind of a high stakes, you know, Kind of a high stakes, high high level of input uh, on the energy end of things, um, high level of output when you finally connect uh, with one of those tiger muskie. But I, uh, I'm going to wrap up, but don't log off just yet because I want to invite you. You really need to email me questions to answer and discuss on the podcast, and I will start to do those at the front of the podcast. I just don't get them consistently enough. I get one through Instagram story here and there once in a while or live chat, but just email me and put podcast in the subject line and email me at joe at redsflyshop.com and I would love to tackle your questions on the podcast here. Really appreciate you listening and don't forget to shop at Reds. We would love to have your business. Happy New Year and good luck in 2023.